Peace be upon you. So Joseph Heller was a famous author. Uh, one of the books that he's probably best known for is called Catch-22, and it's about World War II. Uh, it was published in 1961, and it sold you know millions of copies. And uh, you know, for all practical purposes, he's considered a very uh, successful author. Uh, well, one day he was at a, uh, a dinner party uh, in the Hamptons, kind of upscale place, and there was a lot of young hedge fund uh, guys there. And um, he's an older gentleman uh, at the time, and uh, someone pulls him inside and points out this individual who's about 25 years old and says, hey, look, this guy, he made more money in one year than you'll make in your entire life selling all your books. And uh, Joseph Heller was a little taken back by the statement, but he chuckled to himself and he says, you know, but I have one thing that this man will never have. And the, uh, the other individual said, you know, what could that possibly be? And Joseph Heller said, enough. And that's a very profound statement. You know, how do we know that we have enough? There's something interesting when it comes to money and wealth. And what it is, is that the more of it that we have, the more of it that we desire, and the more of it, it becomes a uh, facet of the well-being of our lives. And the same thing goes for um, uh, power. Uh, and the two kind of go hand in hand. Um, and this is a quote from someone from Wall Street who is a recovering money addict. It says, the strange part is the more I made, the more I got preoccupied with money. When suddenly I didn't have to think about money as much, I find myself starting to think increasingly about it. Money corrupts the mind. And you hear this time and time again. They say, oh, if I just had enough, uh, you know, this much amount, then I won't have to think about money. And inevitably what ends up happening is that the more that people accumulate, the more that they want to go up to that next tier. And all of a sudden, you know, they thought they wanted this house, but then they get it. And then they say, oh, well, actually, I wanted that bigger house or I wanted that nicer car. And you see that the cycle is just ongoing and ongoing. And researchers actually found that the more money an individual accumulates, the more value they put on that money uh, and the more important it is in their life. And you see that money has this addictive property, just like drugs, just like alcohol, that money in itself is addictive. And the more money people have, the more it preoccupies the mind. And in the Bible, in Luke 16, 13 and Matthew 6, 24, it reads, You can't be slaves to both God and money. No servant can serve two masters because either he will hate one and love the other or be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And this is a uh, very interesting thing is that when it comes to who our God is, there can only be one choice. Whatever we love the most, whatever we think about the most is our God. So if money is occupying our mind more than God, then by de facto, money becomes our God. Now, the thing is, money is a means. It's not the end in itself. A lot of people think that they just want to accumulate money. But you have to ask, what do you want this money for? What is it that you want to achieve with it? And most of the times you realize that people don't have an end objective. Uh, the, the, the only objective is to accumulate more of it, to accumulate more possessions, but there is no end goal. And you realize that money, it's just, it's fuel, um, but it's not the end. It's not what we should be striving for. And what we should be striving for is righteousness, uh, pleasing God, and doing good deeds. And these are things that are going to eternally be, uh, we're going to be grateful for. And in the Quran, in chapter 17, verse 18 through 20, it says, Choose your priorities carefully, this life. Anyone who chooses this fleeting life as his priority, we will rush to him what we decide to give him. Then we commit him to Gehenna, where he suffers forever, despised and defeated. The hereafter, 1719. As for those who choose the hereafter as their priority and work righteousness while believing, their efforts will be appreciated. 
For each one of them we provide. We provide for those and these from your Lord's bounties. Your Lord's bounties are inexhaustible. And how awesome is this that God's uh, provisions, they're infinite. There is no end to it. But God sends it down precisely as we need it. And um, in 42.12, it says why. It says, To him belongs absolute control of the heavens and the earth. He is the one who increases the provisions for whomever he wills or reduces it. He is fully aware of all things. So God is the one who dictates the amount of provisions each individual has. And it's more than just the individual, the human being. God is calculating the provisions for every single entity in this entire universe. In 41, 10 through 12, we read about the creation of the universe. And it shows that God has spent two days to calculate the physical laws and four days to calculate the provisions. Meaning that the complexity of the provisions allocated for all life on planet Earth and all the universe, that God is, the complexity of that is twice as much as the complexity of uh, designing the physical laws in the universe itself. And it just goes to show how intricate of a uh, uh, system this is. Now, some people, they think, you know, six days of creation, they say, how can there be a day without, uh, you know, the, the earth itself? And this is just a measuring stick. You can think of it in the sense that God is saying that the complexity of the uh, allocating the provisions is twice as complex as designing and uh, creating the physical laws in the physical universe. And in 41, 10 through 12, it says he placed on its stabilizers mountains and, and made it productive. And he calculated its provisions in four days to satisfy the needs of all its inhabitants. Then he turned to the sky when it was still gas and said to it, into the earth come into existence willingly or unwillingly. They said, we come willingly. Thus, he completed the seven universes in two days and set up the laws for every universe. We adorned the lowest universe with lamps and placed guards around it, such as the design of the Almighty, the Omniscient. So again, we see that the complexity of allocating the provisions is twice as complex as designing the physical universe and the laws that govern that universe. And um, so this is the level of precision that God has taken when uh, allocating the provisions for every single human being, every single infant, every single uh, you know dog, cat, a mosquito, fly, ant, God calculated all this, everything from the amount of provisions they consume, to the oxygen they breathe, to the water that they drink, to the land that they occupy. This has all been perfectly calculated. So the reality is, if we ever believe we do not have enough, that we're lacking in something, be it money, be it skills, be it anything in that nature, that what we're saying is that God made a mistake, that God forgot to allocate this for our well-being. And in 2052, it says, he said, the knowledge thereof is with my Lord in a record. My Lord never errs, nor does he forget. And this is the reality is God never forgets or makes an error in the sense of how much provisions any individual should have at any given moment. Meaning that whatever we have at this very moment is exactly what we need to basically be able to, to progress, to grow in righteousness, to, to overcome the obstacles that are placed in front of us. In 42.27, it says, If God increased the provisions for his servants, they would transgress on earth. This is why he sends it precisely measured to whomever he wills. He is fully cognizant and seer of his servants. God knows that if he gives us more than we can handle, what's going to happen inevitably is we're going to transgress. And that transgression might come in the form of uh, uh, disbelief. It might come in the form of uh, uh, being unappreciative. Uh, you know, uh, feeling always in the sense of uh, need. And you think about this, the amount of wealth that we have is 
um, does not matter if someone is needy because the concept of being needy means that you feel like you don't have enough meaning you could be a millionaire or a billionaire but if you do not feel like you're fulfilled like you have enough that you need more then what you're saying in essence is that you're a needy person and to believe that we are needy is to disbelief in God's precision and so if we ever believe we are lacking something we are believing in a source other than God and anytime that we believe in a source other than God inevitably what we're doing is we're following Satan and in 4 120 God tells us about Satan's promise it says he promises them and entices them what the devil promises is no more than an illusion so the devil's promise is an illusion but what does the devil promise us in 2268 says the devil promises you poverty and commands you to commit evil while God promises you forgiveness from him and grace God is bounteous omniscient so the devil's promise is poverty and the devil's promise is an illusion therefore poverty in itself is an illusion poverty is the belief that we're lacking something that God did not provide us with the provisions the means the skills the knowledge whatever it may be to overcome whatever task or obstacle or difficulties in front of us and the reality is God knows exactly how much we need when we need it and is provided for us perfectly and it might be hard to believe but God gives us uh, profound examples uh, in the history of Joseph for instance you know Joseph became the highest ranking children of Israel governing all of Egypt and what was the path that got him there right it wasn't the best schools it wasn't the best education it wasn't the uh, strong uh, family network anything of that nature right what got Joseph there was that his brothers abandoned him left him for dead in a well got sold into slavery uh, got thrown into uh, prison and then from there he became the highest ranking children of Israel to govern all of Egypt now who would have thought that this was the path that was needed to learn the skill sets of the allocation of provisions for the uh, the, the accounting principles uh, to be able to run that system that Joseph was being uh, groomed for and it comes in such an unconventional manner but re when God is our teacher when God is the one who's putting the lesson plan in our life for us to learn we're always going to be successful another example is David and Goliath and you think of this you know Goliath is this uh, this beast of a man nine feet tall you know has been uh, slaying individuals uh, since he was a, a child uh, you know groomed perfectly for war and he's going against David a shepherd and you would think that there is no way that David would be able to beat Goliath you know what could a shepherd possibly be able to combat uh, Goliath with and you realize that being a shepherd was teaching David the skills he needed the provisions he needed to be able to slay Goliath and all it took was basically a sling and a rope and from all that practice when he was slaying you know the uh, the wolves and the uh, the lions that were coming after his flock that was what he needed in order to be able to slay Goliath and it's hard for any of us to be able to see that pattern after the fact it's easy but during it you know you think if uh, someone told you before the uh, the story of David and Goliath that uh, you know they needed to find someone to fight Goliath would you think that that is the proper training method a regiment that someone should be following to be a shepherd uh, it seems unconventional but God is the one who sees things at the beginning and the end all through it another example is Moses and Pharaoh right Moses all it took to basically dethrone Pharaoh was a staff and by God's leave God created that staff into a serpent that basically uh, swallowed the uh, the fabricators uh, um, uh, illusions of a uh, serpent and um, 
you know, with something as simple as a staff that Moses says, oh, I lean on it, I herd my sheep with it, that God was able to do profound things to topple one of the, the strongest empires of their time to nothing but rubble. And um, we see that, you know, God knows exactly how much we need when we need it. And in 1521, it reads, There's nothing that we do not own infinite amounts thereof, but we send it down in precise measure. That God knows exactly, just like say, for instance, if you want to you want to grow a plant, if you give it too much water, you could drown the seed. You give it too less water, it won't be able to thrive. And God knows exactly how much provisions he needs to send down to each of us for us to be able to thrive, to reach our uh, true potential. And you can think about it in the same way that, you know, imagine you lived on a lake. And the premise on the lake is that the, the lake would provide you with fish. And you would have the opportunity to fish whenever you needed food. So let's say, for instance, you got a small family. Uh, how much fish would you go and catch? You know, you'd catch enough to basically be able to feed your family, maybe a little bit more so you don't have to do it on a daily basis. But that would be the extent. Um, now, a human mentality would be, well, let me just catch as much fish as I possibly can, stock up uh, my fridge with it, maybe get a second fridge and put all the fish there. And what they're, they're failing to, to take in consideration is that God is the one who's providing the fish when you need it. If all of a sudden you had a dinner party and you had to invite 20 people, you just go catch 20 fish. But you wouldn't need this, this mentality of, oh, I don't have enough. I need to get more. Um, I knew someone, they came here from communist Russia when it was still communism. And they said they had a problem. Each time that they would walk into a grocery store, they couldn't help themselves from buying out all the food and all the meat that was on sale. And they would stock up, you know, their uh, shopping cart, maybe have a second shopping cart, because their mentality was that tomorrow this food might not be there. So I better get as much of it as I can now because it might not be there. And this hoarding mentality, this needy mentality, it's something that's very detrimental because we have to trust in God that God is the one who sends the provisions as we need them. Uh, that it, there's nothing wrong with striving to get more, but with more, we have to basically uh, be able to handle that, that excess well, to be able to be maintain righteousness, give to charity, uh, to do good deeds with it. If we're accumulating it just for the sake of hoarding, just for the sake of looking at those zeros in our bank account, you can guarantee that it's not for your own good. And uh, one of the most prominent examples in the Quran of someone who basically had vast amounts of wealth that you know other people looked up to that was absolutely to their detriment was Karun. So Karun in 2876, it reads, Karun the slave driver was one of Moses' people who betrayed them and oppressed them. We gave him so many treasures that the keys thereof were almost too heavy for the strongest band. His people said to him, do not be so arrogant. God does not love those who are arrogant. So here's a person who sold out his own people into slavery and profited from that wealth. And he had so many treasures that it says the strongest band, so you think of a keychain, uh, couldn't hold all his keys for all his treasures. Now, some people would see this and say, wow, this is, you know, this guy's so, uh, so wealthy, so successful. But think of it in another sense, that if he, every millionaire, every billionaire had to carry all this wealth, all this responsibility around with them everywhere they went, this is a form of imprisonment. This isn't something that people would be looking up to. And in 3180, it says, let not those who withhold and hoard, hoard God's provisions think that this is good for them. It is bad for them. 
They will carry their hoardings around their necks on the day of resurrection. God is the ultimate inheritor of the heavens and the earth. God is fully cognizant of everything you do. Every provision we have in this world, we're getting on loan from God to see how do we use it. Imagine, say, for instance, uh, you think of this uh, in the uh, startup world. Startups get VC capital. And what happens is the expectation is that the startup is going to take this cash and they're going to be able to generate something of value for it that's going to exceed the amount of cash that they raised. Now, what happens to a lot of startups is that they accumulate all this cash up front. And you see time and time again, companies that have raised, you know, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars that go belly up. And why? It's because they, they took that wealth and as opposed to being able to build something of value, they just, they just washed it away. They were spending it on frivolous activity, uh, going places and traveling and uh, you know, living a luxurious life and uh, getting amazing office space and amazing furniture that did zero to benefit the bottom line, that did zero to grow the value of that company. And you see that sometimes the companies who get less they're the ones who become the most successful. It's because they know the value of that dollar, that every dollar that they are able to accumulate, that they're able to put back into the business to grow it. And it, when they face a problem, as opposed to trying to just throw money at the problem, what they do is they have to resort on actual innovative solutions. And uh, there's a, uh, someone who gave a TED talk not too long ago who's talking about how constraints and innovation come hand in hand. And that's the thing is sometimes we think money is going to solve our problems, but all that money provides is responsibility. And if we cannot handle that wealth and we cannot basically use that wealth wisely, it's going to be to our own detriment. And we see this in the example of Karun. So it continues in 2877, it says, Use the provisions bestowed upon you by God to seek the abode of the hereafter without neglecting your share in this world. Be charitable as God has been charitable towards you. Do not keep on corrupting the earth. God does not love the corruptors. So God is telling us, you know, these provisions that we accumulate, you know, don't neglect our share in this world, but be charitable. Do good deeds with it. Do something that's going to pay you back manifold, not just in this life, but in the hereafter. That's going to grow and develop your soul. 2878, he said, so this is Karun, I attain all this because of my own cleverness. Did he not realize that God had annihilated before him generations that were much stronger than he and greater in number? The annihilated transgressors were not asked about their crimes. You know, people so often, they equate their self-worth to the amount of money they make. And this is exactly what Karun is doing. That he thinks that because he has all this money, all this, uh, this uh, wealth, that this is uh, a blessing and it's a testament to how clever he is. And um, you see that in uh, 1711, it says the human being often prays for something that may hurt him. Thinking that he is praying for something good, the human being is impatient. And in 89.16, it says, but if he tests him through reduction in provisions, he said, my Lord is humiliating me. Wrong. It is you who brought it upon yourselves by not regarding the orphan and not advocating charity towards the poor and consuming the inheritance of the helpless orphans and loving the money too much. And you see that by merely having provisions, that is not necessarily a blessing. The blessing is how we use it. And if these provisions end up uh, having us fall into being unappreciative, disbelieving, arrogant, um, then you see that those provisions were actually a curse. And this is exactly what happened with Karun. In 2880, it says the real wealth. As for those who were blessed with knowledge, they said, Woe to you, 
God's recompense is far better for those who believe and lead a righteous life. None attains this except the steadfast. 2881 and 82, the tyrant's inevitable fate. When uh, we then caused the earth to swallow him and his mansion, no army could have helped him against God. He was not destined to be a winner. Those who were envious of him the day before said, Now we realize that God is the one who provides for whomever he chooses from among his servants and withholds. If it were not for God's grace towards us, he could have caused the earth to swallow us too. We now realize that the disbelievers never succeed. You know, there's one aspect that we need to be greedy about. We need to be greedy about our recompense on the day of judgment. Because those who live for these, you know, 80, 90 years here on this world are selling themselves short for all of eternity. And those who are basically planning for the hereafter for all of eternity, those are the ones who realize that the investments they make in this life, that if they're only shooting for the priority of this life, they're going to be severely disappointed in the hereafter. And in 23, 55, and 56, it says, Do they think that since we provided them with money and children, we must be showering them with blessings? Indeed, they have no idea. If it was easy to tell a believer by the amount of wealth that they had, by the, how nice of a car they drove, it would be a lot more easy to distinguish. But you realize money, wealth, fame, all this is meaningless in comparison to the real wealth. And the real wealth, as it's stated, is to uh, be aware and plan for the hereafter, to lead a righteous life in this world, to make your investment in this world for the hereafter. And that's going to pay you back manifold. And there's something really profound about, um, you know, this, this idea of uh, money and accumulation. And what you realize is, this is a statement from the, uh, the book and the movie Fight Club, is that you think you own things, but what ends up happening is those things you own end up owning you. Because with all these accumulation of stuff, all this accumulation of wealth and money and cars and homes and, you know, this, uh, this vanities, all that is, it's basically, it's taking over your mind and it's taking over uh, our, uh, our thoughts and our priorities. And you have to realize that when we have more, the responsibility of having that excess is a lot more than someone who has less. But the irony is that if we can be appreciative for less, we'll be appreciative for more. And God tells us in 14.7 that the people, if you're appreciative, to, the more you're appreciative, the more God gives you. Is because as our appreciation increases, the amount of provisions we can handle also increases. So it's something that we have to always be appreciative, always be thankful, always strive to see how can we do good for others? How can we do good for the real life? the hereafter. And um, you realize that the less things you have, the less things you need. And therefore, the less you need to be happy. And when you're happy, that's the end goal. You know, and it's again, it's fine to have uh, possessions, it's fine to have luxuries and stuff, but we have to be uh, aware of our priorities. And if the priorities are getting shifted, where we're thinking more about money, more about wealth, than we are thinking about God, we need to recalibrate. And um, it's interesting that a lot of people that you realize who have a lot of money, a lot of wealth, that they're constantly worried. They're constantly in fear of losing that money, losing that wealth. And that's what ends up occupying the mind and polluting the mind. 
And again, in uh, Matthew, we read 6.24. We're going to continue on from 6.25 to 33. It says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life, as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body, as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat or what will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And God willing, we're going to end with one verse from the Quran in chapter 10, verse 58. It says, Joy for the believers. Say, With God's grace and with his mercy, they shall rejoice. This is far better than any wealth they can accumulate. So God willing, let's strive to uh, make it back to God's kingdom. Uh, and that can start today. It can start here in this world. We don't have to wait for the hereafter. Uh, the second that we start implementing righteousness, that we start um, giving to charity, doing what God expects us to be uh, good, solid human beings, uh, we can have the perfect health, perfect uh, health, wealth, and happiness here in this life and in the hereafter. Um, if you guys got any comments or questions, hit us up at crontalk at gmail.com or uh, give us a, a tweet at, at, uh, at talkcron. And uh, also we got our Quran study notes at cronstudy19.com. It's just a compilation of some of the discussions that we had during the Quran study. Um, and uh, until next time, peace and God bless.